You know, I keep seeing that series video and I'm thinking, man, I can't wait for spring, right? Can't wait for us to get back in the growing uh, time of year types of things. Well, today we continue this Colossians series on this Super Sunday, as we're referring to it, with the theme of substance over shadows. Substance over shadows. Our passage today, as we're taking January and February to walk through this book, our passage today is in Colossians 2, beginning in verse 16 and going through the end of chapter 2. So I want to invite you in your Bibles or on a device, whether here in person or at home or watching from somewhere else, that you go ahead and get the scripture in front of you. Our theme this morning stems really from part of the passage that we touched on or that we kind of unpacked last Sunday morning. And that really had within that passage of last Sunday in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, this message from Paul to the Colossian people. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. That's a very deep reality when it comes to spiritual things that if we might fall for, if we might become deceived by heresy or false teaching or false philosophy, I want to begin us this morning in thinking about maybe something not quite as deep, but something in your own life experience. Can you think of a time or experience when you were deceived? Or maybe as you saw it, when you were duped. You thought you saw the reality of the circumstances, but you were either deceived or what you might describe as being duped. I can remember an, an experience actually five years ago this week that without going into detail, I had someone fairly close to me that I thought I knew only to find out that there was a great level of deception that I was not aware of. My memory on being duped is actually more recent. I maybe have shared a little bit of this account before, but coming on two years ago in the spring of 2019, some of you know that I've had a little bit of a history of you know, buying cars that I drive off of Craigslist, and the one that I chose to go after down in the Portland, Vancouver area was grossly misrepresented, and frankly, I learned a lot through the experience and wouldn't do it that way again without kind of looking with eyes wide open. I looked back on my photo album on my phone and found back in April 2019 of the, of the Honda Accord that I purchased, 2003, which was just a screaming deal for the amount of mileage that was on the car, only to find out that when I got back home, I began to piece together this story of a car that I hadn't purchased with 110,000 miles on it. There were records that existed on the car that showed that it had 250,000 miles on it. You ever had that sinking feeling when you've been duped? <laughs> and it's just like, oh my goodness. You know, sometimes in those moments, I think that we're susceptible when believing in the better that I would term, believing that maybe it's even better, more than you could have imagined, that's not only a good thing, but it's even better than that. You know what they say, if, it's, if it looks to be too good to be true, right? Then it probably is. 
And I think sometimes we're susceptible when we think about being deceived or when we think on full on being duped that when we're believing in the better and kind of having blinders on, if you will, may not always be the best. This morning we find the Apostle Paul giving these Colossian believers some very clear warning. And part of that warning is Paul saying, don't just go off of the appearance of things, and as a result, don't base your faith just simply on the appearance of things. And we're going to unpack that further. But Paul is giving this strong and clear warning about the appearance of things or living our faith just simply by its appearance. It's what some might describe in Christian circles, as I've heard it stated, as image management, right? Image management. We sometimes want to put this picture out in front of people. Sometimes we want to put this facade, you know, that it's like, okay, we're, we're all this that we're portraying. And I've heard it described as sometimes we can get caught in image management. We're just trying to look good and, and kind of live up to the expectations that we think those around us have for us. Well, we'll see in this a reference in today's passage, a scripture that says that they have the appearance of wisdom, but be clear in their practice, these are not wisdom type of practices, for they only have the appearance of wisdom. The fact is, a little bit of context into Colossae and this church in Colossians that what could be described as a spiritual syncretism had crept into the faith community. Syncretism, the, the blending for the believers in Colossae, blending of both a Jewish and Gentile beliefs and practices. Here more specifically in the Colossian people was a form of both Judaism and paganism that was kind of packaged all together in Christianity. It's no wonder that Paul was writing such a, a clear warning to the people and he was wanting to make sure they didn't get caught up in the philosophies or in the false teachings of the day. This spiritual synchronism it's not as if it denied Jesus, but it certainly attempted to dethrone him. And I wonder, and I look at our context and our culture and world today, and how much are, is our culture the same as those times when Paul wrote these words? That there's a distortion, there's a deception that can easily happen, and what is kind of propagated as being the truth is maybe far from the truth. The spiritual syncretism is what happens when people, and I would say even sometimes well-meaning people, settle for some sort of hybrid religion. This spiritual syncretism, reinforced by the Gnostic heresy that was so prevalent in that day, challenged the very supremacy of Jesus. And for that reason, Paul felt like he needed to tackle the false teaching head on. He needed to warn the people. He needed to instruct them in the way that they should practice and the way that their faith should be manifest. So with that as our backdrop, and as we look to the scriptures today, I'd ask if you just bow your heads with me for a moment and let's pray. God, we need your wisdom. 
as we look into your word today. God, we need your spirit to, to guide us as your word is living and active. It's because the spirit's work in the word can bring it really to the realities that we need to not only hear and acknowledge, but that we need to put into practice. Lord, I pray that we would hear your truth clearly today, especially in light of the context of this part of Paul's writing. God, may we see the truth. May we see the clear path that your word sets before us. And may we choose to live in that way. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So if you turn to Colossians, in Colossians 2, beginning in verse 16, Paul writes these words. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, Paul writes, however, is found in Christ. If you're taking notes today or note with me as we're going to address some of these different issues, the first thing that we see Paul underscoring here, he's underscoring concern about when faith is manifest as legalism. When faith is manifest as legalism. It's a similar message that Paul actually writes to the Galatians in the book of Galatians, this false teaching that says, well, Jesus isn't enough. It has to be Jesus plus these things or Jesus plus some of these practices or celebrations that Paul is citing here in Colossians chapter two. It's always in false teaching. It may not totally rob Jesus of the, the reality of who Jesus is and was, but it always wants to add to it's like, hey, there's some extra knowledge. There's some secret knowledge, as the Gnostics would say. There's some additional revelation that we need to bring to who Jesus is. But when faith is manifest as legalism, you see, we understand legalism as simply a performance-based approach to things. Legalism is performance-based. It says that performance is the way to gain favor in God's eyes. If we just perform, if we do well to perform for God, we become legalistic in our practice of faith. And somehow we think in doing that, if we're well-meaning, then that's what gains favor in the eyes of God. When in fact, I would suggest to you that legalism gives favor to the wrong person. It gives favor actually to you. It brings everything centered around self instead of it being an authentic practice of faith that is directed toward God. You see, Paul says that these Old Testament festivals, these Old Testament celebrations are merely a shadow of the true reality that is found in the gospel and in the life of Jesus Christ. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse chapter 10 in verse 1. It says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. What the writer is saying here is you think you understand some of the practices and some of the real nitty-gritty types of things, but understand the true change comes because the, the life of Jesus Christ, because the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
Don't allow your face to be manifest just simply in practices that can be characterized as legalistic. Legalism can make a, a vibrant faith dull and lifeless. Legalism can make us narrow-minded and very divisive in how we go about spiritual things. Legalism can truly get in the way of people seeing Jesus in and through your life. Maybe as you hear this, you can think of a person or people Maybe it has been yourself in your life's journey where you, there's been a practice of legalism that I tell you is just kind of repulsive. It's like if that's what faith is about, I don't want anything to do with it. When faith is manifest as legalism. Well, let's continue on here in Colossians in verses 18 and 19. Paul says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility or the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, uh, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Let me share with you kind of the next caution I think that Paul is pointing out here. The next caution is when faith is manifest in mysticism. When it's manifest in mysticism. Mysticism is essentially a spiritualism focus that stands apart from the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Pastor and Bible commentator Warren Wiersbe, some of you might be familiar with him, describes mysticism as this. He says it's the belief that a person can have an immediate spiritual, an immediate experience with the spiritual world completely apart from the Word of God or the Holy Spirit. Friends, isn't it clear that our culture is captivated with mystical types of things? I mean, you look all over media, you look all over TV programs, there's so many, so many expressions of kind of like, you know, the mystical is, is kind of this spiritual kind of expression, and it just really gets convoluted very quickly. Paul cautions that when faith is manifest as mysticism, it can stand fully apart from what God's word said, what says what the truth is and what the Holy Spirit's work is in the life of a believer. Can I be honest to say that I'm always a bit leery when a person's leading line is, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I have spirituality, right? I'm a... I, I realize we can split hairs over the actual word and in and of itself to say that we're spiritual is not a bad thing but I know that so often when it's someone who has detached themselves from any personal expression of faith spirituality just means that you know I'm just kind of floating out there with these ideas and these thoughts and they're not really attached or grounded in the truth of God's word or even being led by the spirit of God Paul says such people who get caught in these in mysticism type of thoughts, such people are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Paul also notes that such distractions serve to disconnect that person from the head who is Christ. 
And friends, if there's anything that we're doing spiritually speaking that is not directly attaching us to Christ as the head of our faith and Christ as the head of our church, then we need to do some reevaluation here. Because our practice of spiritual things should always tie us back to the person of Jesus Christ. Mysticism seems to promote the supposed feeling of God without the need to actually know God. And I don't know about you, but when I see that, I'm thinking that's slightly problematic that there would be this thought that I can feel God in kind of a, the spirituality kind of sense, but there's really no connection to actually knowing God. Friends, God intends for our faith and growth to always be in the context of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When a person pursues spirituality, if you will, apart from Christ, their religion becomes pretty useless pretty quickly. If your faith gets relegated to simply feeling it, my subsequent question would be is, well, what happens when you're not really feeling it? Feelings don't tell the whole story. Knowing God in a personal relationship does, and Paul warns these relatively young believers, he says, I warn you when your faith is manifest simply in this thing of mysticism. Well, we've got one more portion of this passage to cover, right? Some kind of heavy things that we're dealing with this morning and things that were necessary for Paul to teach both his audience at this time and us as a whole as we have a culture and a world that really wants to challenge some of the primary and basic tenets of faith. Let's read on, Colossians 2, beginning in verse 20. Paul says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, that's a loaded statement, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Paul says such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their false and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This was not a simple part of the letter to read, was it? This is probably the point where the church wants to say, okay, kind of done with that letter, right? Put that one down, let's wait for another more encouraging, more uplifting letter to come from Paul. But Paul's saying this is what we need to hear. Paul points out the clear danger, that's kind of my point number three in this passage, is the danger of when faith is manifest as asceticism asceticism. Now, we don't generally, right, use that particular term. I don't know in the last sentence I've used other than in teaching where I've used the term asceticism, but what I want you to think, what, what really is representative of, of asceticism, it's kind of a tongue twister, is I want you to think about self-denial centric. Being self-denial centric in one's life. You see, we've already talked about the heresy of Gnosticism. 
that the physical is evil is what Gnosticism says. And so if the physical is evil, then you must punish the physical as much as possible. This was very much in line with what the ascetics, the ascetics believed. Ascetics in the time of Scripture abstained from any and all quote-unquote worldly pleasures, and they took great joy, I don't know how you do that, but in kind of beating their body and punishing their bodies. If you need more of a context of asceticism, then I would say, well, think of it as legalism on steroids, right? Legalism on steroids, this way of thinking that Paul writes of, the, the do not and the do not and the do not, it's what really shaped kind of their way of thinking, their expression of faith, instead of focusing on what they were to do and the positive things that would fuel and feed their faith, it was all about do not do this and do not do that. Paul says these supposed disciplines that were practiced by the ascetics and many of the people in that culture, they, these disciplines give an appearance of wisdom. Paul says they lack any true value. Self-imposed worship, false humility. Have you ever known someone who just has a false humility? Have you ever been that person who has a false humility? It's a big turnoff, no doubt. But Paul even says the harsh treatment of the body, all of these supposed disciplines being practiced by some in that community give the appearance of being wise and having wisdom, but Paul says, let's be clear, they lack any really in extended value. They lack really any you know, eternal value, if you will. They're inauthentic in their very practice. You know, along those lines, I'm reminded of what Jesus said in, in Mark's gospel, in Mark 7 and in verse 6, when he says, in quoting the prophet Isaiah, he says, these people honor me with their lips. Many of you know this, this, this scripture. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He's saying in the appearance of things and on the outside, it all seems to be good, but it's really just paying me lip service, Jesus says. Their hearts just simply aren't in it. Jesus goes on to say that they worship me in vain. Their teaching are but rules taught by man. Friends, it really comes down to the nature of the Christian life. The nature of the Christian life, is it rule-based or is it grace-based? Rule-based or grace-based? Maybe I could put it this way. Is it more a matter of earning or a matter of receiving? It's the difference in my mind between simply conforming to the patterns of this world. Many of you can know where I'm going in this scripture. The, the difference between conforming and truly being transformed, right? What's that scripture? Romans 12. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be focused on, as a human being, trying to just do this conformity thing, because that conformity thing leads to legalism. Do more than just try not to conform and live by the do nots. 
Instead, take on the transformation that only Christ through the Spirit of God can accomplish in your life. You see, in what we're talking about here is the theological term that we know as justification. Justification means that it's a work that Christ has already done on our behalf. The fact is, justification is found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Justification is found in Jesus Christ, because I don't know if you found, as I have found in my own life, that as hard as I might try to try at times, I can't always measure up to God's ideal. I can't always measure up to what I know God wants in my life because there's this thing of my human nature that always sometimes wants to hijack that. But we no longer have to be slaves to that, do we, as Paul writes in Romans. For we are slaves to righteousness. We are in Christ. Friends, the reality is, is that as human beings, and many of you have heard me say this before, we are prone to slavery. There's no D on prone. I've got to remember that. We are prone to slavery. We tend to kind of gravitate toward things in our human nature, that is, that want to enslave us. Here, Paul reminds us, reminds the Colossian people that Christ invites us to exchange our slavery for his freedom. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, in Galatians 5.1, he says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You see, the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the heart of the gospel is it's going from this idea of do to done. This idea that somehow if I just do enough, if I just beat up my body enough, now don't get me wrong, the Christian life is about the disciplines of growing in Jesus Christ. It's about being in his word. It's about having that conversation, that communication in prayer. It is all of those things. But when we relegate faith and we cheapen it in the practice of things like legalism and mysticism and even the asceticism we've spoken of, then we make it all about what we can do and the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it takes us from that whole do to the reality of done. Because Jesus Christ and his actions, the very thing that we celebrated here in communion, the, what he has done for us is he's become the atonement for our sin. And if we will receive him as Christ and Lord of our lives, that we don't have to get so focused on the doing. We recognize that the done is already done. And as we live in that doneness, not even a word, I get it. But as we live in that, then the things that we will do and the fruit that will come out of our life is just born out of the reality that we can't earn this. We can only receive it and fully live into what we've received. My desire for each of us, as I want to invite the team to come back up this morning, is that you may be rooted in Christ, as our series says. 
And let me encourage and challenge you a little more personally this morning in your walk with Christ. I mean, practically speaking, and kind of some personal takeaways for you to consider how you practice this. And they are these. Living out your faith in Jesus means in my mind kind of three primary things. Living out your faith in Jesus means to be authentic in your expressions and practices of faith. Don't put on a show. Don't be, you know, inauthentic in the things that you do. Don't live on the surface and just try to give everybody around you the appearance that, hey, look at me, I've got it all figured out. Be authentic in your expressions and practices of faith, number one. The second is this, is to be accountable in your actions and be accountable also to other believers. Some of us would say, it's like, well, nobody's got a right to, you know, speak into what I'm doing. Nobody has a right to judge. Friends, we've been given the right to judge the actions of others who call themselves believers within the context of the body. It's not a condemnation kind of judging. It's an accountability. Be accountable in your actions and to other believers. And then finally, if we're living out our faith in Jesus, it means to be available to God as he continues to grow and shape your character. Be authentic. Be accountable. Be available to God. So that in all things, Christ would be magnified in your life. Amen? Is that your desire this morning? I pray that it is. It is mine. As together we are rooted in Christ. Watch out for the heresy, right? Watch out for the false teaching. There's many things that want to derail the truth of the work of God within your life. Keep your eyes on God. Be authentic in your expression. Be accountable in your actions. Be available to God. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to hear from your word today. And as Paul gives some pretty strong words and warning, Lord, I pray that we would, as we have received that, that we would hear from you as to how you would have us put it into practice in our own personal lives and expression. Lord, that you may be glorified in each of us as we are more deeply rooted in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.